You're listening to Threads Radio. My name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic.
the languorousness of long sunny afternoons. That is Summer, written in 2016 by James Weeks. UK-based, he's a composer, singer, organist and conductor, as well as being the founder of the highly regarded Exaudi Vocal Ensemble. He writes mainly for small ensembles or soloists and describes his interests as covering microtonality, modality and indeterminacy, the embodied or haptic dimensions of sound, and good old-fashioned plain speaking. And pretty much all of those can be found in this piece, I think, with its slow-moving yet subtly changing modal layers and its ambient aesthetic. I wouldn't want to say that it references ambient music, that's maybe a bit superficial in relation to its compositional process, but there is the sense of a real crossover here, which seems to be part of an emerging trend within new classical music. Apparently he wrote the piece after finding those two chords you heard at the piano one day and wanting to just sit with them for a while, as he put it, and the rest of it really grows out of them, as what he terms amplifications, prolongations, and distortions of their pitches. At the time, he was involved with ways of working with modal harmony and triads in different tuning systems, and that's reflected in the way that this piece incorporates equal temperament in the piano part, along with just intonation, the keyboard and tape part, and the looser approximate inflections that are provided by the other instruments. And I love this image. I had in mind, he said, the kind of ripeness you get in fruits where their texture is just slipping into overripe, still holding their shape, but on the verge of becoming pulpy and soft when decay is just about to begin. I think there's maybe an emotional parallel here in that sense of late summer stasis and a sort of melancholy I associate with it. I definitely feel that in the tonal ambiguity of the chords and the piece really grew out of those associations. And for me, I would definitely echo a real sense of the piece encapsulating the torpidity and stasis of a late summer scene, a time, a place, and just unfolding slowly within it. That was performed by the Explore Ensemble. They are Taylor McLennan, bass flute, Alex Roberts, clarinet, Oscar Holch, viola, Denny Teo, cello, Seren Reese, piano, George Barton, suspended cymbal, and Nicholas Moroz doing the electronics realization. It's taken from the album of the same name, Summer, and that was released on the always excellent Sheffield bass label, Another Tambra, earlier this year.
So I meant to play that piece on this show around two years ago, I think. And then, well, something happened, I guess. That's Kings by pianist and organist Kit Downs. He's been a key figure in the British jazz scene for a while now as part of the band Troika and in numerous genre-hopping collaborations with the likes of cellist Lucy Railton, drummer Seb Rochford, and saxophonist Tom Challenger. His piano trio album Golden was also nominated for the Mercury Music Prize back in 2010. The album that piece you heard was taken from, Obsidian, from 2018, was his debut for the Munich-based ECM label, home to the likes of Keith Jarrett, Jan Garbarek, and so on and it features organ recordings made at three English churches. In the case of King's, the Willis organ at Union Chapel in London. He's described how the album came about through the wish to, quote, get these organs from different parts of the UK speaking to each other, all built at different times, with different stops and different sounds. It feels like time travelling somehow, trying to find a common thread. Compositionally, he has acknowledged a debt to the late great jazz pianist John Taylor on this record, and also what he terms the idea of the forgotten, of creating a kind of folk language for abandoned instruments. There are so many of these instruments in country churches around the UK whose capacities aren't explored anymore, or they're rarely used for new music or improvisation. I gather that these pieces began as improvisations, in fact, He said that he would jot down elements that he found particularly interesting, a stop combination, a register detail, perhaps a note cell, or just sounds, and then he'd start to fill in the cracks between the abstract ideas to make fuller pieces. A great album, and I love that piece in particular. It sends just the right degree of gothic chill through you as you listen, with those weird rising and falling scales set against the pale fire of those rippling and morphing broken chord patterns. The album, as mentioned, Obsidian, was released on ECM in 2018.
well, I could happily play all the remaining movements of that, but, you know, show to be getting on with and all that. That was Evocation, or Evocation, the opening part of Iberia by the great Isaac Albanith, written between 1905 and 1909. It's a picturesque suite of 12 pieces evoking the Spanish landscape that's been arranged now in countless ways for orchestra, two pianos, guitar, even woodwind. And no apology for bias here, the piano version is the best. And though I don't usually go in for greatest hits on this show, it is undoubtedly his most famous work, considered to be up there with the great masterpieces of Spanish music of any age. Debussy and Messiaen no less were big fans. It certainly had a direct influence on the impressionism of the former, who said, never has music achieved such diversified, colourful impressions. One's eyes close as though dazzled by beholding such a wealth of imagery. It's for me a bit of a bridge of a work, impressionistic but also semi-romantic in its own way, economical and restrained in its writing, whilst making great use of the piano's textural possibilities. And the opening Evocation has for me a sense of slight darkness through the light and heat haze of the Iberian landscape, combining, as it does, elements of the southern Spanish Fandango and northern Spanish Jota song forms. And that title really is apt. I think this is one of the great strengths of a lot of Spanish classical music, whether Granados, Albaneth, Rodrigo, etc. It just feels so geographically situated. It was performed there by the formidable Alicia de la Rocha in her 1988 reading. She previously recorded it in both 58 and 72. The album Iberia Navarra Suite Española was released on Decca in 1988.
such a quiet intensity and focus to the sounds there. That is Desi Coetzee on this side by the Spanish-born, French-based composer and sound artist Clara de Assis from her recently released album, the somewhat ironically titled Sonomniform, No Name or Form. She mainly works with prepared guitar alongside percussion, found objects and so on, and describes her approach as highlighting simplicity, non-intervention, and what she terms active listening, to echo Pauline Oliveros perhaps, and her music does have this real sense of intense precision to it. Notes are struck sparely, with the sound allowed to reverberate and take on ambient properties of the performance space. There's a sense for me of light created by some great sympathetic resonance there, as well as between the guitar and what I think is bowed glass, with sound appearing and disappearing into nothing. Careful, subtle music that really repays focused listening. The album, as mentioned, Somnomni Form, was released on Pilgrim Talk last year.
That's definitely one of the most squarely romantic, with a capital R, things you're likely to hear on this show. That was Alicia de la Rocha again there, playing Chaos or La Maya y el Rosignol, Complaint or the Woman and the Nightingale. And I think Maya, as opposed to the generic word mujer, is a now obsolete term for a woman of the lower classes. Anyhow, yes, Chaos or La Maya y el Rosignol by Enrique Guarneros, taken from his piano suite Goyescas, written in 1911. Subtitled Los Maios Enamorados, The Gallants in Love, it was inspired by the work of the great Spanish artist Francisco Goya, mostly loosely rather than directly, I think. And like Iberia for Albanith, Goyescas is usually considered to be Guarneros' greatest work, having firmly become part of the romantic piano repertoire despite its late date of writing. It can often have an improvisational or spontaneously composed feel, but the movement you heard there perhaps falls more squarely into a model like the Nocturne, albeit with quite an episodic ending featuring all that birdsong. There's moments of grand emotion, but also great subtlety in its harmonic language and melodic line. And for me there's also a real sense of privateness, a sense of it teasing out a very inner emotional world. Well, it is music after all, isn't it? Not to mention a great theme that keeps popping up, and notably borrowed by Mexican songwriter Conselio Velasquez for her classic song Besame Mucho, in case you were finding it vaguely familiar. It's taken from Alicia De La Rocha's album Goyescas, El Pelele, and that was released on Decca in 1984.
there's something quite curveball about that piece that's grown on me through repeated listenings. It's called Me Hollywood, and it's written by the London-based Oliver Leith. He wrote it in 2020. He describes it as imagining a patron who thinks his life should be a film, so he's paid someone to score it, a willing Truman as he turns him. He hires an ensemble to soundtrack his evening, hoping or knowing even that the music will elevate each banal gesture. Films will eventually be made about him, so he's just making it happen now. His life is filmic, it just needs a score. So that's quite an interesting programmatic idea involving not a little bit of meta potential. And for me, the piece is quite unique. It's got some very recognizable harmonic elements, but it has a novel way of unfolding its own discursive, unhurried story. And its blending of instruments with bits of foley and subtle synth work feels quite fresh. There's also something in the combination of references, the sounds of the glasses, the treatment of the piano partway through, and that strange interlude with the bleeps, the synth sounds, and the low warbling vocal. Oliver Leith talks quite a bit about a something feeling that he is trying to communicate with his pieces. He says getting this across is what he really wants, and that if he plays around enough in the writing process, he will get it. It's that idea, I guess, of trying to give voice through music to an otherwise quite elusive and non-parsable sensation. It's almost like music becomes the proxy for that expression, giving it voice and bringing it out into the world. And as with Summer that I played earlier, that was performed by the brilliant Explore Ensemble. In this instance, Taylor McLennan, flute, Alex Roberts, clarinet, Sarah Park, piano, David Lopez Ibanith, violin, Oscar Holch, viola, and Danny Teo, cello. It's taken from the album of the same name, Me Hollywood, and that was also released on another timbre earlier this year.
came across the record that's from recently and have been listening to it a lot. That was Qui Merite l'Eternité, Who Deserves Eternity, by Madrid-based composer, improviser, pianist, sound artist and academic Edith Alonso. The album it's from, Cora, is the follow-up to her debut, Collapse, and is a collection of electronic pieces leaning heavily towards dark ambience, with her using a relatively stripped-down collection of analog and digital synths to generate immersive and often quite unsettling soundscapes. Qui mérite l'eternité, the opening track, sends through a bit of a shiver with that deep sub-bass, the dub-inflected crashes, and the Stygian gloom of the overall atmosphere. For me, it's compelling in a way I don't always find with similar pieces of music. I think that might here be something to do with elements of continuity, repetition, and unfolding. For the geeks, she was playing there on the analog side, a Korg MS-20, a Moog Minotaur, and Electron Analog Keys, and on the digital, a Waldorf Blofeld. As mentioned, the album Cora was released on Truth Table in 2019. And there's just time for one more from that album.
Edith Alonso again. La tristesse d'hier, this time, the sadness of yesterday. That was also taken from the album Cora, and it was released on Truth Table in 2019. Thank you. 
That was my old gramophone number one. 
written in 2019 by Raquel Garcia Thomas. She's a composer and video artist specializing in interdisciplinary art and music. And so it's perhaps a little hard to select one of her pieces for a radio show, as a lot of them are audiovisual. In this case, the accompanying video emphasizes the gestures of the pianist Albert Kano Schmidt, who you heard there. As you may guess, is the opening of a cycle of the same name, My Old Gramophone, that she describes as aiming to evoke in the audience the act of listening to a gramophone stemming from the mechanization of the performance. And this mechanization is realized by reproducing small errors, like the jump of a needle that result in the repetition of small fragments. As it goes on, these loops go from being perceived as errors to being absorbed by the musical narrative, and so elements of repetition, looping, glitching, and so on. That aside, there's something in the piece I really like. It has a really intimate feel due to the gramophone sound, I think, set against all those beautiful arabesques played on the piano. Unreleased, I think, which makes sense, I guess, considering the format. You can find that and other pieces by Raquel Garcia Thomas on her Vimeo channel.
That was Ferge from 2019 by Claire M. Singer, a composer and performer of acoustic and electronic music of film and installations. She's probably best known though for her work in relation to the organ. Alongside three or so very well-received albums to date, she's the music director of the organ at the Union Chapel in London the one you heard Kit Downs playing on earlier in the show, in fact. And in 2016, she founded the Organ Reframed Festival, which focuses on commissioning and presenting innovative new experimental music for the instrument. She describes her work as drawing inspiration from the landscape of her native Scotland and exploring harmonic textures and overtones that create shifting melodic and rhythmic patterns that disappear almost as soon as they emerge. For Ferge, meaning ocean or sea in Scots Gaelic, she was playing on the Arend and Bunzima organ in Amsterdam's oldest parish church, Uda Kirk, and its oldest building, in fact, if I'm not mistaken. It premiered there back in 2017, and she also played the cello and did the electronics that you heard there on that recording. For tuning geeks, it's in mean tone temperament. She has said that Ferge was developed over many visits, sitting in the Uda Kirk until the very wee hours over the winter months, which was incredibly magical and inspiring. When working with mechanical stops and precisely controlling the amount of air that passes through the pipes, it requires a lot of practice and exploration to learn each incremental sound the organ can make and what the quirks of the instrument can be. As every organ is unique, the piece will differ on other organs but that's what makes writing and working with the instrument so fascinating. For me, it's a great lesson, and whilst I only found out the meaning of the title after already knowing the piece, it seems completely fitting and one of those cases for me where an image subsequently attaches itself back onto an experience. It's taken from the EP of the same name, Ferge, and that was released on Touch in 2019. Okay, that is it for now. The Tonic will be back on the 22nd of December. Better root out some Christmas music, I guess. As always, you can check the show's Instagram page for confirmation, the underscore tonic underscore. And if you feel like getting in touch, do please drop me a message via Instagram or via the tonic.online. Thanks again to Meg, Rosie, and everyone at Threads for hosting. I'm Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening. <laughs>